வெல்கம் டு கிரியேட்டிங் வெல் த்ரூ பேசிவ் அப்பார்ட்மெண்ட் இன்வெஸ்டிங் பாட்காஸ்ட் இன் திஸ் ஷோ வி வில் டிஸ்கஸ் அபவுட் பெஸ்ட் அண்ட் வர்ஸ்ட் எக்ஸ்பீரியன்சஸ் அபவுட் பேசிவ் அண்ட் ஆக்டிவ் அப்பார்ட்மெண்ட் இன்வெஸ்டிங் அண்ட் ஐ ஆம் யுவர் ஹோஸ்ட் ராமகிருஷ்ணா Let's begin the show. Today's our guest is Gabriel Hamel from Hamel Investments. Welcome, Gabriel. Hey, Robert. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. And a little bit about Gabriel. Gabriel Hamel is a real estate investor who is passionate for real estate business and financial freedom, has helped him to amass a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio consisting of single-family homes, multi-family apartments, commercial real estate, and mobile home parks. From humble beginnings, a book on real estate, and a strong desire for financial freedom, Gabriel set out to find creative ways to start purchasing income producing investment real estate gabriel is a strong advocate of financial literacy through self education so with that gabriel so you want to add anything to your background no that that pretty much pretty much nailed it yeah i uh you know growing up i knew that uh college wasn't going to be my path and and school wasn't you know the the best fit i didn't didn't necessarily want a job or a career and so that's what led me ultimately to real estate got it got it and you have passion for financial freedom so please share me your experiences and what it means for you yeah it's kind of interesting i mean you know growing up you know you watch the majority of people go to work and and trade their time for time for money and i was fairly entrepreneurial as a kid like my my mind was de- my mindset was definitely around like hey there's got to be other ways than only working for the dollar i just didn't really know what that was going to look like i was always attracted to business but it wasn't until a couple years after high school when i read the book rich dad poor dad that really opened my eyes to other possibilities and i'm sure some of your listeners have read that book a lot of people have read that book and you know i always say it's really not a how to book and it was more on a a mindset around how to view money and finances and the world in that in that way and so that just opened my mind to hey there's other ways to create wealth there's other ways to live than just trading your time for for money and i was dead set and convinced that i would do that through investing in real estate i didn't know how when i read that book i just knew that would be my path it was the first book that really opened my eyes to hey there's another way than just showing up and working for someone every day got it got it thank you so what do you share your thought process of getting into real estate multi family mobile home parks and yeah so i actually so i read that book and then so that was around like 2002 and i was like hey i'm going to buy i'm going to go start buying property i i didn't have any money i didn't really know how i was going to do that but shortly after reading that book in 2003 i was deployed to iraq because i had joined the army national guard my senior year of high school in in 99 graduated in 2000 so so yeah shortly after reading that book i get deployed to iraq in you know, 03 and i really start you know thinking about hey when i get back i'm going to buy a property and i'm telling all my friends when i get back this is what i'm going to do they think i'm crazy but i get back in you know, 04 and i just start looking i i just didn't know what i didn't know and so i was calling you know every for sale sign every for sale by owner i was going on Craigslist and looking I was going to open houses I was just talking to people and kind of getting to know what you know what is real estate and and what does that mean to to be an investor and how am I going to buy a property and you know after about a year of looking I bought my first property in 2005 it was a single family home in 05 banks were giving money away to anybody including me who didn't have uh, a job or income but they approved me for a loan You always hear the crazy stories about people overbuying and having to give the property back. I I bought a house at a at a good price and 
rented out two of the bedrooms and I lived for less than I could have anywhere else. And so that's really how I started was house hacking before the term house hacking existed. And then I did similar in 06, similar in 07. And then, you know, in 2008, lending guidelines changed quite a bit. They actually required a job and income, down payment, all those things. So in 2008, when I went back to the bank to buy another property, they said, hey, hold up. You actually need a down payment. You need income. You need these things, none of which I qualified for to, to buy another property. And so I had to get creative. And so I briefly remember reading something about seller financing. And so so from 2008 to nine, really just looked at properties and tried to find sellers that would carry the financing rather than get the bank a bank loan. And so in 2009, bought my first seller finance deal, two duplexes side by side, so four units. That the, the cash flow off of that replaced my very low paying uh, minimum wage job. And so after that year, I stopped. I stopped working and. I was not wealthy yet. I was financially free in the sense that my income exceeded my expenses. And from 2009 through 13, I did all no money down seller finance deals. And that's how I initially built up my uh, my portfolio. And all of those were mostly small multifamily properties. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. So would you share your investment philosophy now? Yeah, you know, I've always it's it's always been cash flow first. I mean, when I, you know, when I was buying those small multifamilies with seller financing. I wasn't coming in with any money, right? And so, I mean, I didn't make it complicated. I kept it pretty basic. Here, here's the money coming in. Here's the rents coming in. Here's the expenses. Is there money left over at the end of the day? The way I looked at it, if I'm bringing no money to the table, it's an infinite return. If I'm cash flow positive, then what's the worst case scenario? And and for me back then, I didn't have any reserves. I didn't have. It was literally the risk of not doing the deal outweighed the risk of all the all the what ifs that that could happen. And so I really looked at it as okay, here's the income coming in, and of course I would you know, look, look back on the actuals and, and, and make sure that what was being presented was the case. But as long as it was cash flow positive, I would buy it. To this day, I, even though I buy a lot of value add type properties where the, the rents are lower than market and the, maybe the expenses are higher, it's not being managed well, I still base my numbers and my analyst off of what is the property currently doing? You know, yes, I've been able to to create a lot of wealth on the upside, the appreciation, you know, properties improving in value and getting the rents up. But I still always base my numbers conservatively on what is the property actually producing today and what has it been producing. That's what's hedged. That's how I kind of hedged my investments. And that's that's served me pretty well. I I've met a lot of people that lost a lot of money in the last downturn because they were banking off appreciation, because the only way the property worked is if the rents went up or if they could sell it for more later. And that to me is a model that, that potentially could be dangerous. It works for some, but it's a, it's a model that in a downturn uh, can fail. Got it. Yeah, that's great. So would you share any of your breakthrough moments in real estate space? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the first seller finance deal was really, you know, proof of uh, kind of a proof of concept going, wow, this this works, right? I'm running the numbers back then in 2009 going, oh my gosh, this makes sense. What am I missing? But it worked. And so that led to a, a lot more deals. Once I did, you know, once I, and really even going back to that first house, I think, you know, doing a deal gave me confidence to do the next deal and then the next deal. And doing the first seller finance deal gave me the confidence to do another seller finance deal, another seller finance deal. You know, now I focus in the mobile home park space. Once I bought the first mobile home park, again, it gave me the confidence to do the next one and the next one and the next one. And so I think that's some of it is just, uh, you know, sometimes people are don't know where to get started or afraid to get started, but sometimes it's more important just to, to get started and learn. You know, I've, I've never bought a property that I regret buying. And, and as I say often, like I could have found a reason on any property I bought not to buy it. But again, I've never bought one that I, that I regret. 
Got it, got it. And thank you. And we also share any challenging experiences with the seller financing. Yeah, specific to seller financing. I mean, it's I wouldn't say any huge challenges except for like it's I like seller financing when I can get direct to seller, you know, because it becomes less transactional and, and more relationship based. And so, you know, I really focus on building the relationship with the seller. You know, I'm happy if they want to sell it to me today or tomorrow or a year from now. I just don't go into it with uh, the idea of it being transactional. And so I think uh, one challenge can be when there it is a listed property or there's an agent involved, a lot of times the agent doesn't want a buyer and seller to meet and conversate. And so that can take you know that person-to-person, face-to-face relationship out of it, which it can be tricky. And a lot of sellers and agents, a lot of agents don't know, sorry, not sellers, a lot of agents and brokers don't, they don't know a lot about seller financing and really a lot about investing. You know, and a, being an agent broker is not the same as being a real estate investor. And a lot of agents and brokers aren't looking at it through the eyes of an investor and they and they want to keep you from the seller where I don't always know what the seller's needs are unless I can talk directly with a seller or they have a good broker that understands what their needs are. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. So and so you're in investing in single families, multi-families, commercial real estate, mobile home parks. So which one is better and what is the reason? Yeah, I think they can all be good. I mean, I, I'm not buying single family homes anymore. And, and the thing is, they're in every asset class within real estate, you know, people are kicking ass. Like there, there's people kicking ass in single family and multifamily, land, mobile home parks, self-storage, whatever, you know, whatever apartments. I don't think one is necessarily better better than the other. It's kind of, hey, you find what works, you find what works for you. You know, the reason I like multifamily and then even more so the mobile home park spaces is, is a lot of reasons. So, you know, you also asked about a break, kind of a breakthrough moment was the, another one was when I refinanced one of my smaller multifamily properties, you know, I realized that that banks really look at multifamily in the NOI, the, the net operating income, what is the property producing? And that's how they're basing their value. It's not unlike single family, they're not basing it on comps, right? So they're not looking at, you know, what is the neighbor selling their house for? What have they sold their house for? And what's someone willing to pay for your house? They're looking at, hey, what's that property actually producing? And so I had this kind of eye-opening experience when I bought a property for $475. I put very little down in less than two years, it appraised at $860. And so the reason it almost doubled in value is because the appraiser was basing the value off of the rents that it was producing. The property was grossly under-rented and poorly managed. So once the rents got up to where they needed to be, and even though I put very little money into the property, it appraised out much higher because they were basing it off of the NOI. And that's how commercial financing works. And so that really opened my eyes to why would I try to force these values in single family when I could take a multifamily property, get the expenses down, the income up, and create a lot more, not just income, but also a lot of wealth through kind of that force, that force appreciation there. And so that's why I like the multifamily space. And then more specifically, the mobile home park space, kind of the same thing, you know, a small rent increases, building back utilities, just these little changes can be a small impact on a tenant, but a huge impact on the NOI of the property. Got it, got it. And during our, our offline conversation, you mentioned right now focusing on mobile home park space. So would you share which markets you're focusing? So what is the reason behind focusing on mobile home park space? Yeah, I think, you know, it, the mobile home park space, it's definitely an affordability play too. There's a big gap 
you know, across the whole country between who can afford to live at a mobile home park and who can and who can live in a in a one bedroom apartment. And so the parks that I own are the you know secondary tertiary markets where affordability is an issue. And now all parks are not the are not the same. Some are going to be more costly than others to live in. But I do think that that there's a need for housing, and I think that the mobile home park space solves a, a portion of, of that need, uh, allowing people to live in a less costly uh, type property. And, and in most cases, they they own their mobile home or they own their camper, they live there, they pay space rent, and and they live in a community that they're, that they're comfortable and happy and safe to, to live in. Got it, got it. So did you already purchase a few properties in mobile home space? Yeah, I, so I, I own four parks right now, and I'm in contract on three more mobile home parks. Got it. Got it. So what would be your business plan on that? Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, like past properties, they're they're under rented and poorly managed. And so a lot of times it's just getting better management in place, filling the pads, getting rents up to up to market and making some small changes. I mean, a c- couple examples that I use often is the first park I bought, rents had not been increased in close to five years and utilities weren't being built back. It was a 43 unit park. So doing a small rent increase, which was still below market rent, building back utilities was a very small impact on the tenants, but it also improved the NOI of that park by 30 grand a year. So that created 30 grand income more a year from that one park without spending any money. I didn't, unlike say a 43 unit apartment complex, I didn't have to go in there and renovate all these apartments to get their rents up and spend all this capital you know in, in doing so it was these small changes to you know small rent increase small bill back that made a huge impact on on the park you know these parks i'm in contract on they just haven't been professionally managed it operates well but it's at 60% occupancy and so getting you know getting the occupancy up getting you know more tenants in there it's you know it's never really been advertised or marketed in a way to to fill those spaces so that's going to be you know a big value add and again you know, they, the tenants bringing in their own home will allow an opportunity to increase increase the revenue of the park without necessarily having to spend a bunch of money to do so. Got it. So, and what's your exit plan on those properties? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold them in cash flow. Awesome. Awesome. So would you share any of your best real estate investing experience so far? Gosh, I don't know if I can narrow it down to like one best real estate investing experience. I, I think the thing that comes up to me is the the initial willingness to just go do it. I mean, I've had a lot of you know a lot of really great you know real estate deals and examples of really good deals, um, but none of that would have happened you know had I not made the decision in my mind first that I was going to be a real estate investor and knowing nothing that I committed in my mind that I was. I was going to be all in and, and, and go for it, you know? And to this day, I can really trace every every deal back to some relationship or conversation. So I think it's important for people that, you know, are investing in real estate or who have not yet invested in real estate, but want to, to make that, make that decision up, make their mind up. They are going to be a real estate investor that if they want to be financially free through real estate, they absolutely can do it and, and go out there and do it. Cool. That's great. So would you also share any of the worst or challenging experience in real estate space? Gosh, um, yeah. I mean, there's been different challenges throughout the throughout the years. You know, I think finding good property management can be a challenge. You know, good contractors. I mean, I don't I don't flip property, so it's it's less of a of an issue. A lot of times, it's the property manager having good relation, good third party relationships with with vendors and and such contractors. You know, there's there's a lot of aspects. I mean, there's 
I look at challenges as, as opportunities. So I don't really have a negative take on that. I just think, you know, finding good property management can be challenging. And, you know, you got to find someone that that knows knows property management that also but, but is also good with people because at the end of the day, they're they're dealing with people and people need to be treated respectfully and and kindly. And property management a lot of times can be a, a thankless job. Rarely is a tenant calling a property manager to say, "Hey, thank you, I appreciate you." They're usually calling because they, you know, they they have an issue of some sort. And so, you know, I thank my property managers often. And you know, finding good ones can be can be a challenge, but it's it's well worth it when you find good ones. Got it. Cool. And so, what is your current focus? Share something you're excited about now. Yeah, I mean, this these last couple of years I've been out. You I mean outside of outside of real estate investing, I've you know been traveling a lot with my family. You know, I think that real estate can provide you know great income, great wealth, but really at the end of the day, it's a, it's a tool. And you know, for me, the financial freedom is wonderful. But you know, years ago, reflecting on why I wanted to be financially free, it really came more down to. I wanted to own my time. I didn't want to work for someone else. I wanted that time freedom. I wanted the ability to to hang out with my wife and my kids and and just just have more choices, just have more choices to do what I want to do. And so, yeah, my my focus the last couple of years is is yes, I'm buying mobile home parks. Yes, I'm still, you know, investing in real estate, but a lot of it's also been, you know, why and taking advantage of uh, this time that I have here on earth to live life to the fullest. And a lot of that's to spend time with my family. Awesome. Awesome. So any one advice that have impact on you, Gabriel? Any advice that's had impact on me? I mean, I think going back to the beginning, back to like the basics of, of, you know, rich dad, poor dad, and just buy assets, not liabilities. You know, I took that pretty serious when I was, when I was young, I didn't, when I started out, I wasn't buying stuff I didn't need. I mean, my focus was, I mean, I made very little money early on and it was, I'm going to buy assets. I'm going to buy property that puts money in my pocket every month. I'm not going to buy a bunch of stuff I don't need. I mean, now my, the trips and the travel, my, my assets are paying for those things. Right. But I, I drove a lot of shitty cars. I, I didn't buy new shoes. I didn't buy, you know, a lot of new and, and, and nothing fancy. I didn't take big trips, expensive trips early on because my focus was buy assets. And so I think if you're willing to make that sacrifice and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that much of a sacrifice at, at the time. You're just, you know, when my friends were out buying, you know, cars they couldn't afford and, and doing things they couldn't afford on credit, I just wasn't. And so I think early on that, that pays off. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So any books that impacted your life and what way? I mean, I've mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, some of the other books in that series, The Cash Flow Quadrant, of course, The Advanced Guide to Real Estate. Some of those are great, you know, towards business and real estate. But yeah, I mean, other books, uh, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People is a great book on just how to treat people. Um, you know, Think and Grow Rich is a great book. I mean, I constantly either, either I'm listening to a book on audio or a podcast. You know, I try to just continue uh, to always grow and learn and and uh, listen to what, what other people have to say and, and, and try to learn from them. So... Good. Yeah. Great book. So how about giving back to community? Yeah. In a lot, in a lot of different ways, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I did my very first podcast. Uh, it, it was on bigger pockets and they, they, they have a huge audience. And so I had an overwhelming amount of people reach out that, that, you know, one, they have questions, sometimes very specific, sometimes very broad. Some people wanted some level of coaching, you know, it's something I considered, but, but didn't want to do at the time. And so one thing I, I did to give back was I made a commitment back then that I would you know, at minimum, take a 30 minute phone call to anyone that reached out that had questions. So I've done a couple hundred video chats since then. I always respond to anybody that reaches out. 
Uh, you know, and I, and I love pouring into the people who are out there doing it. I love getting messages when people tell me they bought their first property or they did their first seller finance deal, or they've replaced their income with, with real estate. I, I love hearing that. And so I, I naturally enjoy pouring into, pouring into the people that, that do that. And I, I respond to anyone that, that reaches out. And then, and then financially to um, some other, you know, just financial contributions to, to several individuals last year. So Cool and appreciate it. So how can listeners can connect with you, Gabriel? The best way through through Instagram. I mean, if you if you search, I'm, I'm fairly active on Instagram. The handle is Gabriel R. Hamill. And you can just search Gabriel Hamill and, and find me on there. And again, I will I will respond to any anyone that reaches out and help in any way that I can. Awesome. And thank you, Gabriel. And thanks for adding value to the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate and review and if you want to connect with me please send me a message info at ushacapital.com thank you for listening creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast i hope you learned something from the show see you in the next episode thank you any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only as always please consult with your own cpa legal and financial advisor before investing